We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Blue Wire. First pick in the 1991 NBA draft, the Charlotte Hornets select Larry Johnson from University I'm not supposed to be here, man. A lot of people from where I'm from, well, don't, don't make it. We're back. All right, everyone, what's up? And welcome to another live edition here of BuzzBeat on Twitter Spaces. We thank everyone for joining us the second time. We had a little bit of technical difficulties as we started the first Twitter Spaces. Uh, it's late here. It's uh, 11.09 p.m. after an overtime loss as the Hornets dropped to 29 and 30 after that disheartening loss to the Minnesota Timberwolves. As always, anyone here in Twitter spaces, if you guys request to speak, we'll probably get you guys towards the tail end of this episode. I am joined by Lee today as we're going to recap this game. Just some housekeeping stuff before we begin. If you guys like to support us and want to know the best way how, give us a five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. And then Lee, we also have a survey that's going on right now that gives us feedback on what we're doing well and what we have suggestions to kind of look forward to. So Lee, have you been looking at those notes uh, as they've been coming in from the listeners? Oh yeah. Yeah. Keep them coming guys. Really enjoying kind of getting like direct feedback um, from not only Twitter space listeners, but also from folks who are streaming our podcast. Um, So definitely, definitely keep that coming. And um, yeah, check out the BuzzBeat profile, any of the Twitter profiles I think have retweeted the survey at this point. So give it a look, Steve, for sure. I will also put the link in the episode notes as well. Did you hear that uh, Carl Anthony Towns, before games, he gets hyped by watching gorillas fighting each other to their deaths? Did you hear that from Eric Collins tonight? <laughs> I actually missed that. That's a, that's a heck of a nugget um, from EC and the crew. I wonder if... Uh, I wonder, who, you know, if, if research drummed that up or, or yeah. Ashley, but man, I mean, well, whatever he did, it worked tonight. I'll tell you that. Yeah. Much, yes, yes. I, I need to start watching these videos before I get on the podcast, especially after a loss like this. I, I've got to get hyped up. I really don't want to talk too much about this game because of the way that it ended in the fourth quarter. It felt like a game that they needed to win, especially considering who they're playing next. Yep. 
uh, in Miami. And Miami is coming off a loss tonight as well. The Hornets very well could be two games under 500 as we head into the All-Star break. So, one, I thought it was interesting that they came out with a, a new lineup, starting lineup of Ball, Rozier, Bridges, Washington, and Plumlee. I looked this up prior to the game, but those three, Bridges, Washington, and Plumlee, have only played 62 minutes together. I'm not totally sold on that trio playing a lot of minutes together, but they, you know, coming into this game, they did have a very good offensive rating of 122.5 when those three were on the court. And I think in theory, when you have PJ playing the four versus the five, it allows him to kind of get his feet wet from the corners, a spot that he's really, really shot the ball well all of his career, but not so much this season. You'd like to see him kind of pick up steam from the corners. I think tonight he was one of four from there. So it, it, he's still not comfortable finding his his rhythm from the corners there. It's probably because he just hasn't shot the ball a ton from there. Ubre has been shifted back to the bench. I think that's just his MO. Like he's an... He's an energy guy that can get hot, go off from behind the arc. He's, totally. he's not a guy that you think, uh, okay, start him. Because if he starts missing his shots, like what else does he bring for this team? So you kind of got to feel out the game with Ubre, and I think that's better done coming off the bench. And then just one other thing, like with this team, I think the offensive rebound rate was very good from Charlotte and, and getting the team extra possessions, especially from Plumlee and, and Montrez. But I think on the opposite end, I think that's what cost the Hornets late in this game was giving up all those offensive rebounds to Minnesota. And I think the way that they lost the lead in the fourth quarter, really, I don't mean, I don't know how much confidence they had coming into this game, but I feel like it probably can hurt their confidence a little bit. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, not, not to continue to bring the mood down, but I think, I think on this podcast, like we, we, we try to be as realistic as possible and and I think our audience ship generally does appreciate that um, about us. Like we we try not to get, you know, we try not to get too high or too low. But but right now, obviously, the Hornets are are, are in a massive rough stretch here. And like you said, Richie, uh, yeah, don't worry. It's not like we it's not like we play. You know, maybe the best team in the Eastern Conference on Thursday or, or anything like that. So so no no need to panic, guys. Um, <laughs> it felt like an important game. Uh, in a lot of ways, like, like just for like general momentum going into the all-star break, this felt like a game they had to have. It, it also is kind of that, like, I don't know, that psychological, uh, barrier of now being under 500 for the first time since the very, very early in the season, if at all, that is, is not you know, that's not fun to do is to, to, to now have lost more games than you've won. The Hornets are 29 and 30 now. Um, and, and then also, like, frankly, I mean, Anthony Edwards goes down in the right. first half with the ankle injury. And, like, you, I, I never want to see that for any player, but particularly a player like Anthony Edwards who, like, I was a huge fan of coming out of college, and he's just become an awesome NBA player in his second year. And, and looked good. I mean, he didn't shoot the ball incredibly well in the first half, but, like, looked really good. And and so, you know, Edwards goes down. And look, I mean, this is a Hornets team that's still missing McDaniels, Martin, and Hayward. But, like, you, you would have liked – you would have really liked them to be able to pull out this game, particularly with that large lead that you referenced in, in the fourth quarter. You, you already kind of hit on it, Rich. Like, the offensive rebounding, particularly late in that game, was just – maddening and, and I think it's just kind of like 
you know, this Timberwolves roster, I mean, you've got, of course, obviously you have Anthony Towns out there, but they also had McDaniels and Vanderbilt both out there late in that game. And it just felt like the Hornets were kind of helpless for whatever reason to control the glass. I mean, JB basically played, basically played six guys tonight, or sorry, seven guys tonight. Um, you know, JT Thor played 11 minutes. And, and we honestly, we probably should talk about Thor just for, at least for a second before we get out of here. Yeah. But I think this team is just that their, their confidence is shaken a bit right now. Their shooting is certainly shaken a bit right now. The Hornets go eight for 33 from the three point line tonight, 24% from, the, from behind the arc. And, you know, they've, they've taken some punches. And, and to be frank, like, they, they haven't exactly responded in the most resilient way. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Yeah, let's talk about J.C. Thor. You brought him up. I think his frame only allows him to do so much, but he was active on the defensive side of the court. Uh, in the first quarter, he got a block on Malik Beasley, like on a one-on-one fast break situation. And then I tweeted out this clip. You know, just as importantly, he prevented Beasley later on in the quarter, kind of towards the last seconds of that quarter, kind of like a, from a mental point of view, Beasley basically didn't take a shot near the rim. Like it, it, it was going to be contested, but I think probably in the back of his mind, he knew that earlier in that quarter that he just got blocked by JT Thor. And so Thor helped from the weak side, forced the pass out and, and the Timberwolves are just kind of passing around the perimeter and they, they got off a shot real late in the first quarter, but it probably wasn't their best look. It's that type of stuff that doesn't really show up in the box score that we probably need to highlight more from someone like JT Thor and on the first watch of this game, obviously we've not had a chance to go back and look at it. The only miscue that I saw from him on the defensive side of the court was he allowed uh, Jaden uh, McDaniels, excuse me, to get a bucket on a backdoor cut late in this game. Now, offensively, I feel like he's still a little bit unsure of himself. He still gets like some directions from the sidelines from JB on where to be and and, and kind of what offense to run. And I guess that's probably to be expected a little bit 
from a guy that just hasn't played and just hasn't had a ton of court time. So it's going to take him some time. I think his offensive role is probably best suited as a low usage guy, catch and shoot from the three-point line. I think his best play or a play that probably highlights him right now in his rookie season, the offensive end, he had a baseline alley-oop in the fourth quarter. So he was still getting minutes in the fourth quarter when this game Clearly was not out of reach for Minnesota yet. So I've liked what I've seen from JT Thor. And Evan, we'll get to your speaker request here in a second after we finish up our thoughts on JT. But Lee, what do you make of JT Thor so far? And maybe how he fits on this team moving forward in, in this season alone. Like, do you think that this spot minutes here and there for 11, 15 minutes a game, is that, is that going to continue? I think in the short term, um, it's certainly going to continue. I think what'll be interesting um, will be when when our McDaniel's uh, <laughs> hopefully is 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 soon back in the rotation. Uh, I, I think that will be kind of the more uh, telling data point on whether JT Thor has kind of like truly earned his way into the core rotation, or if JB is just kind of using him in that McDaniel's role uh, for the time being, which, you know, to JT's credit, uh, JB was not using him in that role uh, initially when McDaniel's went out, but, but uh, Thor has, has, has earned those minutes. You know, Borrego has talked about him a little bit in some of his press conferences recently saying that, you know, Thor's got his attention and, Mm -hmm. and that he's, he's kind of like, clawed his way into this rotation. Uh, I think you laid out kind of his strengths really well. Um, the only thing I think I would add is like uh, on the rim protection stuff. I, I thought that was an awesome clip. People should go take a look at that. You, you could see, you could literally like read Beasley's mind just by the way he attacked the basket, kind of took a peek at J2 Thor and said, eh, I bet, I bet I better not go flying in there again after, after he just sent one back on me, you know, a possession or two ago. So like, the, the tale on Thor, you know, coming out of Auburn was, you know, this guy's a whatever, 6'9", six, 6'10", six, uh, kind of swing forward that can step out and shoot it, but also has a lot of, like, lateral defensive versatility. You know, he used, he used to block a lot of jump shots um, in college at Auburn, which is always something that catches my eye. Like, when a guy is long and athletic enough to constantly kind of pop off your screen and, and, and block jump shots, that's when you normally – kind of know that a guy is going to have some some translatability uh with their with their basketball like functional athleticism in the nba so thor's showing some of that stuff um i I just think he's a really really nice young developmental prospect piece for this hornets team and it's only gonna pay dividends for him down the road that he's actually playing like in meaningful nba games and in and meaningful nba minutes right now that's that's tough up to come by um, as a young player, and, and he's fully in the thick of it right now. The only other thing I would add on Thor, and then we can get to the speaker request, is uh, you know I think part of the reason why he's been able to earn some minutes is you're, you're right, Richie. Like he does get confused sometimes, and, and still needs a ton of direction. But on the other hand, I do think that he's doing a pretty good job of not like going outside of his lane too much. You know, I think he has. Um, he is kind of a light bulb maybe has gone off for Thor. And like, these are the things I need to do to be in the rotation. I need to be active defensively in the passing lanes and trying to protect the rim. 
And I need to, I need to like key off of our playmakers. Like you said, Rich, like low usage. I need to key off of our playmakers. I need to slide into space. You referenced the, the alley-oop he caught. He's done a pretty good job kind of like cutting around the baseline and things of that nature to finish around the rim. So I, I just think he's a guy who is learning what his role can be and how he can be a successful NBA rotational player right now. And so that, uh, you know, we got to find a couple decent uh, <laughs> takeaways from this game. And I did like what I saw from Thor. Yeah, a lot of these takeaways that I was taking notes of, I thought they were going to be positive and happy thoughts, but it's hard to get positive after the way that they lost this game. But Evan, we'll go to you and your comment or question. Hey guys, no questions. I just, I need to, this is a therapy session for me because <laughs> I am, I'm, I'm just tired of this. I, I can't, you gotta walk, you gotta talk me off the ledge here because this was just such a depressing second half I mean especially fourth quarter up 13 in the fourth quarter and and in my mind and essentially a must-win game um you know playing Miami on Thursday night I'm not expecting to win that game so you know stay relevant stay 500 going to the all-star break and just the constant breakdowns or this you know playing defense for 24 seconds on a, on a shot clock and, and, and giving up these offensive rebounds and, and it wasn't even like on it wasn't even one offensive rebound possession. It was it was multiple, and, and Minnesota turned that into threes, and then the missed free are killing. They're just a killer. You have Mello missing. Mello's been taking a dip with his free throw. Him and Miles both, you know, recently have have dipped in the free throw line, but both of those were extremely important free throws that they missed down the stretch. And 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 you guys are big PJ guys. I'm done with the man. I, I, sometimes he, he doesn't have a brain. Like what what are you doing? That ball has no chance of going in. You go ten. That's an important play of that game. Those are two important points. Like, guys, I, I need you to talk me off the ledge here because I am, I'm exhausted from this game. Yeah, I, I'm that's not. My rant. I'm not sure if I can talk you off the ledge. I think what we have to put in perspective is the timing of the injuries to Hayward and McDaniel's that Lee mentioned at the top of the podcast and. I think it was kind of predictable when, and I don't know when they're coming back because it feels like it doesn't seem like there's a definite return date for either of those guys. I don't have high hopes they're going to be returning quote unquote soon. At least the Hornets do get a, a kind of like a week off here after the game against Miami, but I still feel like Gordon Hayward's a ways away, but that's just kind of my gut feeling. So I thought it was kind of predictable how the Hornets do play without Hayward. And I, I've gone on a rant before about how important he is to this team and the ability to score on all three levels. Now, he's not the only reason that the Hornets have kind of taken a dip here recently. This is one of those seasons, I think what makes it even you know worse is this is one of those seasons where the East is so freaking wide open that the Hornets could have taken advantage of this type of season and finish in the top six without having to worry about the plan. And I think moving forward, that doesn't seem all that attainable considering the way that the roster is made out to be with, with all these injuries. Uh, I wish I could have some positive news for you, Evan. Uh, maybe Lee can kind of brighten the spirits a little bit more. Uh, but it, it's 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 more so just like I, I kind of predicted this in the sense that, you know, Gordon Hayward is a very important piece to this team. Yeah, uh, yes. Like Gordon Hayward, I think one of the most like you know pointed parts of missing Hayward is, and this is something we talked about a ton in the preseason as we were trying to kind of like 
figure out this new roster construction. And one of the main themes uh, of us kind of sussing through that in the, in the preseason was like, you know, we have pushed in all our chips into kind of like the LaMelo ball as the offensive engine. And, and, and obviously like LaMelo is fully capable of that. And I would still say like, even, even with this massive losing streak we're on, watching LaMelo continue to develop and improve. Uh, and, and, like, he wasn't great tonight, don't get me wrong, but just generally, like, that that still keeps me, Evan, from, from, from running off the cliff. Like, we still have a, a 20-year-old with the keys to our offense that uh, is an all-star, obviously, and is just, like, improving at a rapid pace. And, and has instincts and size um, and, and, and passing ability that is incredibly uncommon. So, you know, is this roster the perfect roster around him right now? Absolutely not. And PJ has been really frustrating. And I've been very hesitant to, like, make any sort of declarations about, you know, PJ, like, a, like regressing as a player. Because I do think he's made strides on the defensive end. Like, I truly believe that. He's had some massive, massive defensive games this year. Even in this game, he's, he had four steals, had a couple huge deflections down the stretch. But the offense is just, it's, it's MIA. I mean, we, we talked about it a couple weeks ago at length. Uh, Brian made some really good points about, you know, you mean it's. I mean, it's not rocket science. Like you, you can see that PJ is incredibly hesitant to do anything on the offensive side of the basketball floor, besides catch and shoot, besides pick and pop, or like, you know, maybe an occasional cut to the basket. But like he's just, he's just a shell of himself offensively. He hasn't shot. He's still shooting the ball pretty well on the year, but he hasn't not shot the ball well over the past, you know, four to six weeks. Um, so I, you know, I, you know, I tweeted tweeted this i think it was last week it's like like where is pj washington you know he he's a guy that we, we needed to kind of like pick up some of this and, and look he's not gonna be able to pick up hayward's playmaking and, and i think that's the i'm rambling here a little bit but i think that's the point i was trying to get to earlier is that when hayward's out there's just way 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 too much playmaking um responsibilities on the mellow ball shoulders and like He's incredible, and he does a great job of shouldering it. But Hayward is that subtle half-court offensive organizer. He's that subtle end-of-shot clock, tough situation, get you a basket or draw or draw attention and get an open shot or an open finish for a teammate. Like I, I think the Hornets fan base, and, and Richie has, has been all over this from the beginning, but I, I think the Hornets fan base has grossly um, underestimated the nuance of Hayward's like offensive ability and what he does for this team. You know, Terry Rozier has done a decent job in spot kind of like secondary or backup point guard minutes, but that's just not his best self. That that's that's not a recipe for efficient offense over large sample sizes. Um, and so, yeah, I, I don't know if any of that is talking you off the cliff. But what I will say, the last thing I'll say is this this, this week break that Richie referenced for the Ulster break uh, could not be coming at a better time in, unless it came a week ago. So, like, for the Hornets to be able to 
eh, unfortunately, have a really tough game with Miami on Thursday. But but then to be able to not only like recalibrate and maybe get some of their confidence back, but also potentially get a little bit healthier um, is, is where we're at. And look, I mean, the, the Hornets have a game and a half lead on, on the Washington Wizards right now who are in 11th. The Hornets are still in 9th. Um, so that, that three-game lead that, that I think we referenced like two episodes ago has already been cut in half. Um, if the, if this Charlotte Hornets team misses, misses the play in altogether, uh, you know, like I said, a couple episodes ago, I think there's going to be some massive kind of revaluation, uh, going on, but, but let's not go there just yeah. yet. Let's, let's, let's see. And, and the last little piece of optimism I'll give you, the Hornets have not shot the ball well over the past month. Uh, and they're still one of the better shooting teams in the league over the, over the full season sample size. So. I think we are due post All Star break, like like mathematically, the Hornets are due for a nice shooting stretch. So maybe we'll get that. Yeah, well, that that's very well put, Lee, and trying trying to put a positive spin on what's happening here. And to your point, Lamelo Ball is the future of this team, and you know, obviously, this is his second year in the league, and you know, they're moving forward, and and they're going to build this team around him. And you know, speaking of Lamelo tonight, he did foul out. He was one of the few players tonight that actually had his three-point shot working. But I will say this, like his floater didn't seem to be on tonight. And that's something that he tends to shoot in the mid-range a lot. I, I swear he attempted like six or seven of those things in the first half and only made like one or two with the way that Minnesota was defending him and kind of dropping back and maybe protecting the lob at times. This is just something that I want to talk about with LaMelo because, again, I'm not. this is not a negative thing by any means because he's such a young player and he's got tons of years to grow, tons of room to grow, and he's still borderline all-star player this year. He got in with the replacement nominee. His mid-range game is something that I would like to talk about because if teams do sag off and take away that lob, whether that's to Harrell, whether that's to, to Bridges or any kind of future teammates, he tends to have this uh, propensity to kind of just kind of run and float and hit the floater. But I think that he needs to maybe add a pull-up mid-range shot where he's not always drifting towards the basket. Give him an opportunity to pull up from that elbow area and have an open shot and not always being off balance and running. And he does he does a fairly good job at those floaters, just, you know, just not tonight per se, but it's, it's just interesting to see like parts of his game that are really, really good right now. But that's the one thing that, that kind of stood out to me tonight. When that floater doesn't fall, it's basically just all three-point shots, which, you know, he was three of eight for tonight. But as, as a whole, this team did not shoot the ball well from, from behind the arc. So LaMelo Ball and his development, Lee, like what, what are you looking at for, you know, for him, you know, growing? Is, is the mid-range shot something that he should be working on in upcoming years? Yeah, I don't think, and I don't think this is what you're saying for the record, but I don't think he should, you know, put that put that floater away um, completely. But but I do agree that he could have a bit of a better uh, counterbalance, you know, using the floater at times, uh, which is obviously like kind of become one of his signature shots, but also using like a more traditional kind of stop on a dime, uh, you know, like what you would think of as like a classic jump shot pull up rather than rather than always defaulting to the floater because it feels like it's like 
I don't know, like 90-10 right now, and maybe it should be more like 70-30 or 60-40. Um, I, I think the three things that we, we kind of always talk about on this podcast that LaMelo needs to continue to improve is point-of-attack defense, uh, mid-range kind of shot creation, shot efficiency, and then finishing and getting and, and finish getting to and finishing at the rim. Um, I think he's made strides uh, in all three of those areas since he entered the league. But if we were if we were trying to break down Lamelo's game and, and find the weak points and, and find out where he, he still needs to really continue to elevate, like th- those are absolutely the, the quote unquote like holes in his game, in my opinion. All right. I'm not sure how much more you want to talk about this game, but there's only two other players that I just want to quickly mention. And then maybe you can kind of mention your thoughts too on anything that you would like to wrap up with uh, on this game. And, you know, Terry Rozier, I do want to mention him real quick. I've been critical of him in the past for some of his like over dribbling. And you mentioned it earlier about him not being your prototypical one. And that's going to be kind of an issue moving forward because of the fact that Ish Smith is gone and out of this rotation. You know, who is that backup one? But I will say this. I think that he adds a competitive edge, clutch shot making to this team. And when they hit dry spells, which they most certainly did in that first quarter, he comes up big. And he also hit a big three, you know, with about five minutes left in this game. Obviously, the Hornets couldn't turn that into a victory. But I think if the Hornets ever get to a real playoff matchup, and I'm not talking about the play-in, like over the course of a series, I have no doubt that he goes out and just like wins Charlotte a game with his scoring and his ability uh, to kind of make shots when it ma- when it matters the most. And I thought the Hornets did a good job of kind of weathering that storm early on because the Timberwolves did come out to a pretty early lead, and I think Terry Rozier was a big reason as to kind of keeping that lead close. And then lastly, uh, Mason Plumley. <laughs> Near triple-double, he was sitting at nine assists for like the longest time. He never got it. He's a very good passer. I think he has the capability of seeing things that others don't. He fits it into tight spaces. But the one thing that can get him into trouble at time is the fact that he's over-eager to always go after the ball and to grab a loose ball. He got a foul where he, like, he dove at can't remember whose legs it was, but got a foul there. He gambles a lot on passes out on the perimeter where the ball is like 23 feet from the basket where he doesn't need to be making that gamble. It puts him out of position. He picks up silly fouls. Um, You know, he has that energy, right? He has the hustle plays on the offensive glass, which he was a big factor tonight, but he's just got to reel that in sometimes in certain situations. So I I just wanted to mention Terry Rozier real quick and Mason Plumlee's near triple-double. Yeah, only closing thoughts I have are, you know, I think I thought it was really interesting tonight. You, you mentioned um, the change in the starting lineup. It was we saw a ton of Harold Plumley on the floor together, mm-hmm. tonight, which I, I think it had mixed results. I, I don't think it's a lineup you can ever like truly close with. Um, I mean, look, we've we've literally only seen it for like basically one night, but just just conceptually there seems to be a lot of issues there um particularly like with offensive spacing late in games i just you know obviously borrego's always really liked to play with a traditional center at, at least starting games and we didn't we didn't see very much of pj at the five tonight there, there were moments of it but it was a it, and and look like plumley was good tonight um so 
you know, obviously he was out there a ton. Harold was out there a ton. They were out there together a ton. I just, I think that's something like Hornets fans and our audience should be paying attention to as Montrez Harrell is kind of, you know, massaged and worked into this rotation. Like, obviously he's already playing a ton. I just think JB's tinkering and trying to figure out like the best configurations to play him with. Uh, there aren't a lot of other options right now. Like I said earlier, like basically seven guys played tonight, uh, plus like the, the JT store sprinkle minutes as well, which were fun. And, and I do think that Montrez is, is bringing an energy card to play off the bench, which has been really helpful in the three games he's been in Charlotte so far. I just wonder how uh, how JB is going to keep like building these these lineup configurations, and if it's going to eventually get to kind of a more uh, you know set rotation rather than some of the experimentation we're seeing right now. So that's something to definitely I think keep our eyes on and kind of keep discussing. Yeah, I mean the energy piece is important for this team, and I think one of the listeners that came on one of our most recent uh, Twitter Spaces, I think it was Belk Forever, mentioned a guy that can light a fire underneath you know the ass of the other players, and, and he's one of those guys that obviously he's not a great defender by any means, but you can definitely tell that the energy and the communication has been upped since he's entered the rotation and, and playing with this team, and I think that's you know an intangible, but it goes a long way for a young team. So, all right, guys, thanks again for those that joined here tonight on Spaces. Uh, we'd much rather be doing this after a win, but as we mentioned, the Hornets did lose in overtime to the Minnesota Timberwolves, 120-126, dropping their record to 29-30. and They do have one more game prior to the All-Star break against Miami. Uh, so they very well could be 29 and 31, but they do have a week off to kind of erase all of these memories and, and move forward from there. So for Lee, I'm Richie. We'll talk to you guys next time. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.